Hey everybody, welcome to the Hack My Homestead podcast. This is Sean Mills and today is Monday, September 18th, 2023. And uh, today I wanted to share a few thoughts on the New Mexico governor and her uh, rescinding the ability of concealed carry permit holders to carry either open or concealed in any public place in uh, Albuquerque County, New Mexico. I read this and I, I listened to a couple of other hot takes on the issue. And um, then I noticed today that the, um, the order had been slapped with a temporary restraining order with the local judge essentially saying, hey, uh, this isn't constitutional. Uh, so she turned around and reissued the order uh, with a reduction in the spaces. Now she's limiting it specifically to parks um, and playgrounds. Uh, I didn't know that parks and playgrounds were a, a big place where gun violence happened. But, um, you know, it just got me thinking a couple things. One of them is that we call ourselves a nation of laws here, but there are so many people in power whether it be at the county level, at the state level, or at the federal level, who believe that it's okay to just do whatever the heck they want because it serves whatever greater good they decide uh, is worth it, you know? And, And basically she said that she was enacting this order for 30 days because of a public health emergency because something has to be done about the gun violence. And, and I don't disagree. I, I am a gun owner. Uh, I feel like I'm a responsible gun or, owner. Um, you know, I have trained myself. Um, I trained my uh, wife to the extent that she will be trained uh, and my kids on, even at a very young age, how to operate around firearms uh, to have a healthy level of respect for them. Um, and I carry concealed, I open carry at times and, you know, but I do it respectfully and I do it because of the fact that if there was some sort of situation where I needed my firearm, uh, I can't rely on the government to step in and protect me. Right. Uh, the reality is, is I'll probably go through my entire life never having to actually need uh, to be armed in terms of um, having to deploy my weapon. But the one time that I do, or the one time that I might, uh, could save my life or others uh, in the event that I was put into one of those situations. And so, you know, my choice uh, is to comply with the law. I went and got my carry permit the way that the state that I lived in at the time uh, required it. Now that I'm in Tennessee, which is a constitutional carry state, I will get a permit for Tennessee. And people say, well, why do you need to get a permit for Tennessee if they're constitutional carry? Well, because other states don't necessarily recognize Tennessee's uh, decision that constitutional carry applies across state lines. Now, I know there was a recent court case, I believe, in Massachusetts where uh, a New Hampshire resident sued the state because he said, look, 
if I am a rightful and lawful uh, gun owner in the state of Massachusetts or a state of New Hampshire, and I cross over into the state of Massachusetts, Massachusetts can't deter decide that I'm a felon just because I happen to be carrying a firearm. And uh, apparently a judge has agreed with him. Now we'll see where this goes from here. We know that a lot of these gun cases get dropped because uh, it's better to lose at the state or municipal level than it would be at the federal level and to have um, you know that that court uh, precedent now apply everywhere. And so a lot of these things are pushed and funded by either gun uh, control groups or gun um, advocate advocacy groups. And they're going to pick their fights. But, and I did notice that like immediately upon, uh, you know, this order being signed and I'm calling it an order. It's been referred to as a law several times, but governors don't pass laws. Um, the legislature passes laws and the legislature had passed a law stating that, uh, concealed and open carry were legal under certain circumstances if the person was lawfully permitted. And the governor issued an order, uh, that, uh, counteracted that law. And, and of course, six lawsuits were immediately filed against it. And, and, um, and then the, the judge today, I think it was today, uh, issued a temporary restraining order or TRO, but, you know, like I said, it got me thinking about, A, we need to be aware that people in power are going to abuse that power, okay? And we can't get into the habit of, of thinking that it's okay when the abuse of that power um, provides an end that we're okay with, right? So there may have been a lot of people in New Mexico that thought, Oh, well, I, I'm glad that people can't concealed carry in Albuquerque. I'm okay with that. But it's like, well, hold on. W- would you be okay if the governor signed a law stating that it was required that you carry, that you had to, that you could be arrested if you were found without a firearm in Albuquerque? Well, no. Um, and, and and while I know that's taking it kind of to the, to the extreme, it just goes to prove that you have to, um, at least in the form of government that we have, you have to rely on the right parts of the government to make laws, a different part of the government to enact and to uphold the law, and another one to make sure that the law is applied correctly and that the law is not um, in violation of the contract entered into between the state and its residents, also known as the constitution of that state. And so, um, you know, we have to be on the lookout for that. We have to be on the lookout for anyone in government seizing power that doesn't belong to them. Uh, and then using that power, even if they're using it in a way that we agree with, right? And then the other thing that it got me thinking about was how would I react if I was a, you know, if I was a gun owner that was permitted to carry in the state of New Mexico and I routinely worked in or even always worked in Albuquerque County. 
Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's a good thought experiment. How like, what would you do if you were in that situation? Well, I think first of all, I would probably reach out to my employer and state that I would not be going to work in that area if I could not protect myself. Well, what do you mean? Well, I mean that I'm a lawful concealed carry permit holder for the state of New Mexico. I carry every day when I go to work. And the governor has just determined that I am not allowed to do that. And until this issue is resolved, I am not going to go to that county. I'm not going to work in that county not being armed. And I know that a lot of people can't necessarily stand up and, and risk their paychecks by doing that. But I think that, <clears throat> I think that that would be a good, a good way to respond initially. I've always said, not always, I've said a lot recently, um, that if people had real penalties for their actions, that maybe they would act better, you know, um, I think that if um, <laughs> if two men were allowed to duke it out and um, and settle their issues, uh, and and they were mature enough so that the loser lost gracefully and the winner won gracefully, then I think that um, we'd probably be a better society. And I know, oh my God, I can't believe you're advocating like duels or you're advocating people fighting. But, you know, I'm not necessarily, I know I am kind of advocating that, but what I'm really advocating is for adults to be adults, to be pragmatic, to have some honor, um, to stand up for what they believe in, to be willing to be wrong. Okay. So if two hot-headed men um, have some sort of argument that they feel like they need to resort to fisticuffs to resolve, and they both agree to do that, um, I think they should be allowed to. And I think that Part of that is you have to be mature enough to know when you've won a fight and to stop it. And you have to be mature enough to lose a fight and be done with it. You know, there's all these stories about uh, these gang killings in the inner city that, it you know, one, guilt, one guy kills one guy and then his brother kills a guy that knows the other guy. And then that guy has to retaliate and that guy has to retaliate and on and on and on forever it goes. Um, and I think that if we took the level of lethality down and then again people were mature enough to lose to win gracefully and to lose gracefully i've been in some fights in my life and when you've won you don't just continue to beat the hell out of the person until they're dead right that's what i mean by by winning gracefully uh and when you've lost well that's the end of it you don't keep escalating it um I got to a fight one time. I was I was young, and I got punched right in the ear, really, really hard. Uh, only one punch fight I've ever been in, because 
I did not want to fight after that. I got walloped, and I was just like, all right, you win. That's literally what I said. All right, you win. And luckily for me, the guy I was fighting was mature enough to agree that, okay, if I won, then the fight's over. And I happened to be mature enough to not go get a gun or a knife or five of my friends and try to re-win the fight that I had already lost. The, I lost the fight. The fight was, I was done. I was not interested in fighting anymore. And that was the end of it. Um, and I think that not allowing that to happen and allowing this change to happen where you can just say whatever you want on the internet. You can just, you can be an idiot. You can say all kinds of nasty things that you would rightfully get your butt kicked for if you said it in person um, with no consequence. I think that's a detriment to society. You know, and I've heard people say the thing, an armed society is a polite society. Um, And I agree with that. But I don't agree with it because, you know, those that want to control guns and want to keep guns out of people's hands, they say, well, they say that because, you know, you you get shot if you say the wrong thing. No, 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 that's not the case. The the case is is that you know as an armed citizen that it is your responsibility to not escalate a situation, okay? So, when you go get your concealed per- carry permit, you take a class. Uh, and the class is different in different places, but one of the things that th- that's pretty true everywhere that they give these classes is if you escalate a situation to the point of gun violence and then use your gun, you are not in the right. It's not self-defense anymore. Because you're armed, you have the responsibility to de-escalate the situation. Okay? We talk about all these situations with um, you know, cops killing people. And it's like, you know, if these police officers were held to the same standard as the general public, you know, they get this well, I feared for my life because I'm a police officer and I see all these crazy things. No, no, no. No, 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 no. You don't get that. You don't get, I chose a job and I see certain things because of my job, so therefore I get a pass when I pull the trigger. No, no. You should be held to a higher standard given that situation. You, when you pull someone over, and then you're yelling and screaming at them, you're escalating the situation while you're the one that showed up with the firearm on your hip, which, by the way, you unbuckle before you walk to the car. Those are, you know, and I don't, <laughs> don't want to get on a soapbox here, but the point is a armed society is a polite society because of the fact that when you're armed, you know, I cannot... If I escalate this from words to fists or from talk to yelling, then the other person may escalate it. And then, and then I, and then I might respond with more escalation. And if we get to the place where he's attacking me and I actually am fearing for my life and I resort to using my weapon, I can't at that point claim it was self-defense because I escalated it. That's what it means by a 
armed society is a polite society. And so getting back to my other point, I think that if people said, oh, well, you know what? If Albuquerque County is not going to allow me to protect myself, I won't do business there. I won't shop there. I won't work there. I won't commute there. I will call my boss and say, hey, we need to figure something out because I'm not leaving the house and going to a place in Albuquerque County as long as this ridiculous laws or this order is in effect. The other thing I thought was kind of crazy, and if that were to happen, then there would actually be a financial impact to Albuquerque County, to business owners in Albuquerque County, at which point the business owner should be calling up the local uh, or the, calling the governor and saying, hey, you're killing us here. We're going to, you know, we're not going to stand for this. You're out of here. Um, or, and this is the other thing that could happen, or folks that believe in freedom and believe that they should have the right to go armed uh, if they've met all the requirements in their state, don't go to go and do business there. But there are so many other people who believe in that law, that believe it's a great idea, and believe that everywhere else on the planet, they're going to be in danger. But in Albuquerque, because the governor governor uh, put some special words on a special piece of paper, that they're safer there because the concealed carry uh, crazies aren't out there. And so more people go there and do business. Well, then, then the governor can say, hey, look, you know, we, we won. We did what the people wanted, and we won. Um, you know, this was one of the ideas of all these states being uh, laboratories of democracy is the states within the republic were allowed to make their own laws. You know, they were they were limited to a certain extent because of the Constitution the, of, the, of the federal government that each state signed on to, uh, to in order to become a state. But outside of that, they were willing to do it their way. And the idea was, is that if they did it poorly, then people would leave. And if you did it well, the people that were leaving the states that did it poorly would show up there. You know, we hear about the problems with all of the immigration in New York City, all of the immigrants that have been bussed up to New York City. And they're saying, oh, we're going to it's going to bankrupt our city. It's like, well, this is literally what you asked for. You said you were a sanctuary city. You said that you would take on uh, immigrants and take care of them. You're literally standing up there complaining about the cost to feed and clothe and house all of these illegal immigrants that you asked for. Why wouldn't you make them feed and clothe and house, house themselves? Like, I don't understand why the default is... These people were able to walk a thousand plus miles through a desert to get here. They're incapable of working. Like what? Like I understand it takes some time to get into the swing of things, but there's a lot of things that those people can be doing to take care of themselves. And the idea that New York City invited all of this onto themselves without any sort of plan of what to do once the immigrants showed up. Um, it's kind of crazy. And I know that no one asked, you know, New York City's mayor didn't write the governor of Texas and say, hey, make sure that those buses stop here in New York City. We want all of them. I understand that that's not 
when I say they asked for it, they didn't literally ask for these immigrants. But basically what they said is, is we're a, we're a sanctuary city. We're going to take care of them. Um, we're not going to turn them away. And if you do things differently than the way we do th- these things, then you're a racist and a bigot and a misogynist or whatever is, uh, you're a Nazi and all these other things, right? Uh, and now they're reaping what they sow. Now they're actually getting some negative consequences to their actions. I remember back when the whole bank crisis was happening in 2008. My whole thing was, let them fail. The big ones, what do you mean too big to fail? They're failing. They've already failed. You're just bailing them out so that they can continue failing. You know, if you just let them fail, what what would happen? The guy from Merrill Lynch ends up working at, you know, Lehman Brothers. And the guy from Lehman Brothers and Merrill Lynch that went to Lehman Brothers, they both end up at Citibank. You know, um, so, you know, I think that you... Uh, if you're going to indemnify anyone, you indemnify the depositors, um, not the CEOs. I think that the, um, but anyways, it's just, it's prevalent across our society that people do these crazy things, um, like, you know, subprime mortgages, (laughs) like, uh, you know, mortgage backed securities and, um, and, and calling, uh, you know, issuing unconstitutional orders that are in direct violation of this, of the laws of the state and the constitution that they swore an oath to. And there's no negative consequences. Like, I guess maybe as I've, as I've thought through this whole situation, that's my real point is it sure is a shame that when dumb stuff like this happens, that, nothing happens that the the state legislature should have recalled her or impeached her or whatever their process is for getting a sitting governor out of office. That process should have started the day after she issued this unconstitutional order. And if they weren't sure whether it was unconstitutional or not, even though it was obvious, they should have said, well, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to kick it over to the courts, you know, we're going to bond it to the grand jury, so to speak. We're going to kick it over to the courts. And if the courts tell us that this is, this is in fact unconstitutional, then we're going to impeach the governor for issuing an unconstitutional, um, executive order and targeting a certain class of citizens for what she called a public health emergency. (coughs) that was going to expire in 30 days. Like that's the other thing that that gets me. Like it's like they went to the COVID playbook, you know? Oh, well, we got a public health emergency. Uh, we're going to issue an, an edict and you kind of just have to follow it. Someone got shot and look, I hate gun violence, but I don't think that because someone who was a criminal did something bad with a firearm, that means that my constitutionally protected rights should be forfeited. Um, whichever right you want to pick. I don't think my First Amendment rights should be forfeited. I don't think my Second Amendment rights should be forfeited. Fourth, fifth, we can go on. There's all these rights that are enumerated in the Constitution and the, and the, and the amendments thereof that protect people from the government. 
And those rights don't get to be thrown out just because someone has an opinion. And that opinion was formed because someone did a bad thing. I think where it's really going on here is, I do I believe that she is concerned about gun violence? Yes. Well, guess what? If you're concerned about gun violence and you're the governor, you're actually in a position of power to do things that will actually help the problem. Preventing legally permitted uh, carriers of firearms from carrying those firearms is not going to do anything to prevent gun violence. Period. End of story. But yeah, so I guess my two big takeaways are I think we should all sit down and think about if an authoritarian leader in our um, wherever we are uh, issued an order that we didn't agree with because it was unconstitutional. There's all kinds of laws that get passed that we don't agree with. I'm currently driving 74 miles per hour while I'm recording this, and I'm driving in a 70 mile per hour zone. So I don't agree with the speed limit here. I'm getting passed on the left about every eight minutes. So there's a whole lot of other people that don't agree with the law. And so in this situation, I'm exercising civil disobedience. But I think that, you know, when these things get worse, when these governors and these legislators start trying to go across the line and everyone's line is at a different place, I really do think that we should try to stand up and provide some pain, provide some consequences to those actions, you know? Um, I remember when they tried to make raw milk illegal in the state of Tennessee. And my state rep was one of was was the guy not to the back. It was the guy uh it was the Knoxville state rep and I my state rep was the one right above that. But what did we do? Well, every we formed a Facebook group, we got the word out, we evangelized anyone that would listen. You don't have to like raw milk or not. You just have to agree that the government shouldn't be able to tell you what kind of food you're allowed to eat. So we went through this campaign and, you know, wrote our senators, wrote our state reps. And you know what really got the ball moving more than anything else? We found some, uh, we found a bill, like a, like a, what do you call it? It was a... um, like a pre-written bill making it perfectly legal. So at the time, raw milk was allowed through herd shares in the state of Tennessee. Okay. Um, this guy wanted to make it 100% illegal, uh, illegal to buy, illegal to sell, etc. And so we actually were able to get one of the state reps to threaten responding to his, um, proposal with a proposal to make raw milk 100% legal in the state. And he dropped it. So now what does that tell you? He wasn't willing. He didn't believe in his position enough to risk losing to the other side. He was willing to put it forth and, and risk it falling down in committee or getting out of committee even and and risk it being lost uh, to a vote on the floor. 
he wasn't willing to have the other side be heard. He wasn't willing to take the chance that raw milk was going to become legal without restriction in the state of Tennessee. Which, of course, led me immediately to believe, well, obviously, he didn't care about the safety, even though that's what he tried to make sure you know, everyone believed, oh, no, this is about sa- this is about saving the babies, saving children. If you like raw milk, you hate babies. No, uh, because if he really believed that, it didn't matter what we threatened him with. Hey, we're going to introduce a, a, a bill that will make raw milk totally legal in the state. Bring it on then. Come on. This is about children. This is really about saving kids' lives here. And I will have that debate on the floor, on camera. If you really believed it and you really believed that's what was going on, that would have been your response. But it wasn't. It was, oh, well, we can't risk that happening, so I'll just drop it. We'll make sure it gets crushed in committee. And that's what happened. Now, I haven't followed the raw milk escapades in the state of Tennessee for a while. Um, So, heck, you know, when I was down in Alabama, it's possible that they got it passed. It's possible that it went the other way. Who knows? Uh, I'm just kind of getting back into Tennessee, and we'll we'll figure out. My family's not a big milk drinker to begin with, so um, while the specific issue does not necessarily mean anything one way or the other, I absolutely don't think that the state um, should be allowed to tell us what kind of food we're allowed to put in our body. Um, the state can absolutely step in and apply the law in the event that milk, raw milk causes harm because it was improperly handled, sold, etc., right? Just like any other food law, just like any other food product. But the idea that they're allowed to tell us, oh, that's illegal and you can't have it? No, no, I don't think so. So there was a situation where we actually presented a negative, um, what is it called, negative reinforcement to a negative action? Um, and he wasn't willing to risk it. So can't even remember how, why I digressed onto that other than to just say again, in closing, stand up for what you believe in. If what you believe in is being attacked by the government, do what you can to try to create pain for the government, make them reap what they sow. Um, and even if they are able to push their agenda through during their term, you make it painful for a politician by making them lose. So that would be a way, oh, okay, you're going to, you're, you're for violating your oath that you swore to uphold the constitution of the state of New Mexico. Well, this will be your last term period. End of story. So we'll see what happens, I guess. Um, you know, now that she's gone to the whole, well, we, <coughs> we, um, what did she say? We're glad to hear that the courts agree with the fact that we really need to do something about gun violence in Albuquerque. And we also think that there's been more conversation that's happened about gun violence in Albuquerque in the three weeks since we made this order. Like, oh, that's just your way of saying we got smacked down by the court, but we're not willing to 
um, do anything about it or like we're not willing to admit that. I mean, that's like saying, you know, we definitely shouldn't paint the parking lines in a parking lot the same color as the parking lot. So we have to paint the, um, the parking lot orange and you could only buy this shade of orange from Sherwin-Williams. And a judge saying, yeah, you can't make a law that makes parking lot painters buy from a specific uh, person. And them saying, we, are sure, we sure are glad that the court agrees with us that we shouldn't paint black lines on black parking lots. What? That's not what they said. They said you couldn't require this orange paint to, that's, that can only be bought from one place. You can't do that. You can write a spec saying that the only paint that's allowed is this specific paint, and then it goes through committee and it goes through the legislature, <coughs> and they write it in the law. But you can't just write a law saying, hey, my brother-in-law works at Sherwin-Williams. You have to buy all the state paint from him. And then when the judge strikes it down, you say, well, we're glad that the judge agrees with us about what color not to paint the parking lot. So anyways, I think I'm going to wrap it up there today, guys. Um, I'm trying to get back in the swing of the podcast uh, with the Kickstarter and the moving and the trip and the wildfires and uh, everything else going on. I know I've gotten off of my schedule a little bit. Uh, We are done with the filming on Kickstarter uh, movie, and um, that's going to free up a lot of my time. Even though it it didn't take a lot of time to film the individual segments, it took a significant amount of time to get everything set up. Every pump had a different set of plumbing, you know, and so you got to get plumbing A to work with valve B and pressure uh, valve or pressure gauge C and on and on and on. And then the same thing when we were doing the the pumping, the distance pumping, it's like, okay, well, the poly pipe requires this and the garden hose requires this. And we got a thousand feet of garden hose, 100 foot at a time. We're testing and then the, the t- hoses get tangled up and blah, 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 blah. Wah, wah. Um, <laughs> anyways, we're done with all that now. Uh, I think editing is actually going to be finished up today. It's going to go off to the audio guy. He's going to do the audio master. And uh, hopefully by the end of the week, we've got finished product there. But um, I do appreciate y'all tuning in and listening to me today. Uh, If you've got questions, comments, or concerns, send them to me at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at hackmyhomestead.com. And I am also going to be getting the September newsletter out this week. We are seeing a couple changes in some pricing. Uh, We're seeing, you know, some panels on the low end to get cheaper and on the high end get higher uh, with a couple other changes. So I'm going to be reporting on all of that this week uh, and getting that out to you guys as well. So thanks for tuning in again and we'll talk to you next time.